Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. This is episode 14, and today we're talking about grief and triggers. This fertility journey is filled with triggers, and one trigger um, that most people will deal with is Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is going to occur every year in May for ever and ever and ever and ever. And I want to use this space today to kind of um, deal with some of the emotions that come up with this. Um, mostly around grief, trauma, and just triggers in general, because um, we're going to have triggers that are not like related to Mother's Day. There will be triggers outside of Mother's Day that we have to deal with. So I just want to make sure that we have the tools to be able to help us move through these triggers. To help us do that today, we have Dr. Wiata Fanbule, um, and she will join us to have a conversation and she'll guide us through some of her best tips to navigate these emotions. In this episode, we're going to dissect some of these feelings that can come up. And these might be feelings that we ignore or maybe feelings we can't quite put a name to or have trouble labeling or grasping or kind of understanding. Um... Everyone's experience with this journey is going to be completely different. And some people are going to have a hard time with parts of this journey, while others will have a harder time or a more difficult experience with another part of the journey. And either way, um, your journey is your journey. You don't need anyone to validate that journey for you. What you feel is what you feel. Um, but, you know, mostly... I wanted to say that if you've been struggling that you know help is available and there's no shame in asking for help there's no shame in needing some assistance because you're going through a hard time because this is a really hard experience to go through and so if this is you and you feel like oh maybe I should be this or I should be that there's no shame in saying you know what I cannot handle all this on my own and I need some extra help um, so you know, I just want to make sure you know that. And in having that conversation, I also think there's a very important number to share. If you're really struggling, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline can be accessed by contacting 800-273-8255. Again, that's 800-273-8255. I know this day is really tough for many and... It's not just for those of us who want to be mothers, but for those of us who have experienced loss, either through pregnancy or those who have lost their parents, or you know, even if you've experienced other losses related to the journey, um, I just want you to know that today I'm thinking of all of you, um, and I see you, and you are not invisible to me. Um, I wanna make sure that you give yourself permission to skip an event, if you feel like you need to or if you need to just take some quiet time um, you do deserve it and it is a big deal so for some people it's going to be really hard and you know if you can't make an event because it's too hard on you I think it's okay to say you know what I need to skip it for today 
Um, I hope that you're able to find time to take care of your mind, heart, and body today. very special episode today. Today we're going to be talking about um, grief and we're also going to be talking about Mother's Day and how to navigate sometimes some of the difficult feelings that can come up around Mother's Day. And today we have um, Dr. Wiata Fon Boulet, PsyD, and she is a fertility uh, counselor. She is a therapist and um, helps people particularly in fertility. So thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Wiata. Thank you. Hi. Good. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good morning for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you for taking the time for being with us here today. There's I think um, this is a really um, difficult topic, I think, for some, because I don't know that sometimes we fully understand it. Number one. Number two, I don't think we talk about um, grief or some of the difficult experiences um, surrounding this whole process and what it is. So thank you for dissecting some of this with us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. So yes, definitely. So um. yes, I want to start off with your story and okay. how you came to work um, in fertility. So would you mind sharing with us your journey to fertility um, and working as a therapist specifically in this area? Sure. So back in 2016, well, I should probably go back. I was thinking about it this morning and I was like, you know, I had two fibroid surgery. And after the first one, I remember the doctor saying to me, if you ever want to have kids, you're going to have to have a cesarean because we had to reconstruct your uterus. But, you know, I was young and I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And then fast forward to a few years later, my fibroids came back. And I had to have a second surgery. So, but still, I didn't think much about it. So, a couple of years ago, I decided, you know, I'm going to try to, um, I'm going to just go ahead and try. I was going to do single mother, single mom by choice. And so, I decided to go and, you know, um, artificial insemination. And I did it a couple of times and it didn't work. But during that time, like my family was very supportive. My friends were very supportive, those who knew. But during that time, I was so anxious, like the anxiety was through the roof. And I remember feeling isolated and guilty, like, why did I wait? There was all these thoughts running through my head. And one thing, and I I couldn't go forward because my anxiety was just too much surrounding the miscarriages. And I decided to stop and look at other alternatives. But one thing that stuck with me was I don't want any other woman to feel that anxiety the way that I did. And if there was any way I could help giving them a space to come to just to be able to understand it and process it, that I wanted to be able to do that. And so that began my journey into just researching and studying and um, certifications in reproductive psychology. And I'm so happy that I'm able to do that because people who do come to me, you know, those are the exact feelings that they're talking about, like the grief being, mm-hmm. the the feeling like a failure, like all these mm-hmm. feelings that come up for you when you're struggling with infertility. And so that's how my journey started. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you were um, doing your IUIs, were you already a practicing therapist? 
Yes. I, so <laughs> I was a forensic psychologist. So I was working, I was working in the prison system. I worked with corrections. I worked in federal and in state prisons. And so, yeah, it was just, and the other thing is during that time, what was also funny was women, random women will come up to me just out of the blue and start telling me about their fertility journey. And I'm like, it's written on my head. Like what is happening? Cause I was very resistant to it. Even though I wanted to, I was still kind of resistant. Like, I'm not sure because it's too close to my heart, you know, like what would it bring up for me if somebody told me about their journey? So I wasn't too sure. And so it took me years before I finally decided like, you know what, do this because there's a reason why people are coming up to you and talking to you about this. And the, the young lady who does my hair and she said, you know, I love talking to you about this stuff because she struggled with infertility. She goes, because it gives me peace. It gives me a place where I don't feel like I'm the only one struggling with it. And you just, there's a presence that you bring about it that makes it feel like I'm okay. Like there's nothing wrong with me. And I was like, well, I should take that to heart because it was, it was confirming for me. It was confirmation for me. Like you should really do this. Mm-hmm. As a therapist or as, you know, working as a psychologist at the time and in the forensic space, which is completely different (laughs) than this, but you still obviously have the training and that sort of thing. Did you did you find that that experience was different for you because you understood it or is it just completely different because it's happening to you as opposed to happening to one of your clients or patients? Um, well, help me understand the question when you say what the forensic experience or the fertility? No, the, like the anxiety surrounding the fertility experience and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you think you had like a, a, an inside track because you knew all of this, you know, from just your, your own My education training. and yeah, and your profession, or do you feel like, you know what, because it's happening to me and not outside of me, you know, and someone else, it's always easier to see what's happening in someone else than it is inside yeah. yourself sometimes. <laughs> did you feel that way or did you feel like, no, I know what this is and I know what to oh, do with this? I mean, okay. So there's training and there's experience like of self, right? So even though I knew what it was, because I know what anxiety anxiety looks like, but when you're experiencing it, it's a whole different feeling. Like you have to, because you do what everyone else will do, which is to try to avoid that feeling. Yes, like, yes, it's like, yes. Well, I, I shouldn't feel this way. And then there's the other layer, like, well, I'm a psychologist, so I should know how to deal with these feelings. But then I'm a human too. And what's hard being a psychologist is people go, well, you're a therapist. Like you should know how to deal with this. And I'm like, no, I'm a human first. So all of those things were true for me, but interesting working in a forensic setting, I had a couple of times cause I worked with men and you know how we focus on the women a lot, um, for fertility. There were two guys that came to me at some point in prison who their partner had experienced a miscarriage. And it was me talking to them and how they were experiencing and dealing with it. I was like, wow, I never, I mean, yeah, you know that it affects both partners, but you, I don't think as a society, we really focus on how it affects the men in the relationship. So working with them also just made me want to work with both the male and female. And I felt like I had a different perspective because I worked with guys for so long and seeing them in like a fragile state. So I could understand, I could 
navigate that world of working with the male partner and the female partner. Mm -hmm. So I think there are um, maybe what we think about um, the experience. I think a lot of times we we don't talk about the feelings around it and then we don't really know what's normal because we don't talk about what happens during the experience. So and you having been through um, some of it yourself with having miscarriages and going through IUI and um, understanding that piece, um, I I think I kind of want to talk about some of these feelings because it wasn't until recently that I even knew that I was grieving. So I was talking to my therapist and I I remember I was talking about I was talking about how angry I was because, you know, no one told me that, you know, when I got to age 35, how quickly my fertility would decline. It wasn't discussed. I was angry because I'm 40 and I'm struggling so hard to just get Mm -hmm. a normal embryo. I'm like angry that this is such a you know expensive system that exists and it's not covered and then I started talking about how you know I just I'm not greedy I just want a few normal embryos and you know why can't I just have five years back and then you know my therapist kind of stopped me and she said do you know what is going on right now and I'm like no what I'm mad I'm like I'm mad and you know I just like I think it's unfair and um and she's like um Um, you realize you just went through like three stages of grief, right? Like you Mm -hmm. just talked about like the three stages of grief. And I was like, no, what? I was like, but I'm not like sad. Like I am sad, but I'm not like, you know, I think we think (laughs) grief looks a certain way, you know, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't. And I totally learned that just because my therapist like stopped me and called me out on it and said like, Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, um, by the way, you know what that is. Right. And I was like, no, like, I'm, is it just, I'm mad. Like, what is it? And she's like, no, you're grieving. And I'm like, what? And so I I think we should talk about what grief is. So Mm -hmm. can you explain what exactly grief is? Cause I like, for me, I just assumed that it was all about being sad and, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not obvi- obviously because I wasn't like profoundly sad. I am, but I'm. That wasn't yeah. my driving, you know, thing. Exactly. Well, grief is we, and we can grieve on so many levels. It's accepting, being upset about, being angry, bargaining, being depressed, angry, um, all those things about an idea of what you have had of how things were supposed to be, how things were supposed to be planned out. And when that idea is ripped away from you, readjusting, how do I readjust now? How do I identify myself now that this idea of what we're supposed to is no longer? And there's the emotions that come with it. So we can look at, well, maybe if I had done then this would have, you know, we start to find ways to fill in, to make ourselves feel like, to find your okay space. Like how, where, where do I find my okay space? But it's going through those emotions that help you to get there. But what happens a lot of times is that we try to stay away from those emotions because they don't feel good, you know? And it's that not feeling good that takes us deeper into like a depression or anxiety or anger because you're feeling angry. Why were you feeling angry? You know, it was this 
all these things, if I, it's like, if I had done ABC, so there's a guilt that's associated with it and it's taking on blame. So a lot of it could be like self, self blaming. And so grief is just that ripping away of the idea of what was and how do I patch it back up? So it now has a new, a new face, a new perspective. How do I give it a new perspective? But until you can get to the place where you can recognize that there there is a different perspective, you're stuck. So it's like being stuck in the moment of something that was that happened. That's what I define it as. Mm-hmm. So it almost sounds like it is a a loss of an idea or mm-hmm. a loss of um, maybe your your dream or something because you don't have to because you don't have to lose a pregnancy or something to feel grief because some people you know don't even get to make it to that point you know exactly so it's it's like a loss of an idea almost can also be motherhood yes yeah yeah yeah. so in this case we'll say loss of womanhood loss of motherhood because those are the things that we're associating with for infertility because infertility when we think about i don't think any woman or any i mean you know and i want to be sensitive to yeah. um everyone so i'm mm-hmm. using woman you know yes any female so i don't think anyone ever thinks i'm especially if you're like healthy and life is going well i don't think you ever think oh, this is something I'm going to struggle with because fundamentally we all kind of have this belief that I should be able to have kids. Like, why wouldn't I be able to have kids? So, you know, society expects this, expects it of us. And for those who want to be a mom, they're like, they expect that their uterus and their reproductive organs will just do what is supposed, what it was built to do. And when that doesn't happen, like, how does that strip you? It's also like the grief is stripping you of like, Am, am I not a woman now? What does it say about me? Am I not a whole person? So does grieving all of the idea of who you were, who you used to be, or who you used to be, be found out before you found out that you struggle with infertility? Yeah. That yeah. is stripped away. Yeah. And it's like, because there, there's grief on that part. And I really want to address that, too, because I think some people maybe think that they don't deserve to grieve because they haven't lost a pregnancy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I want to make sure that people understand that you you can grieve even without um, exactly. experience a loss of a pregnancy because it's a, a loss of whatever your dream was, you exactly. know, how you pictured your life exactly. to be. And exactly. so and and. And I think because sometimes there's like, oh, gosh, we can get into this, too. But like there's, you know, people always have their opinions. Right. It's like, well, you know, at least you you didn't lose a baby or at least, you know, that sort of thing. And I I want to make sure that people who are grieving without having like carried a pregnancy and lost a pregnancy know that the the grieving for them is like totally allowed and normal. It's a, mm-hmm. a normal part of the process because like you said, we're losing something, a part of us that we thought yeah. would be that is no longer. Exactly. No one gets to determine what it is that causes me to feel a certain way. I determine that based on what I'm experiencing. You know what I mean? You determine what that is based on what you're experiencing. So for someone to say, well, at least 
stop them dead in their tracks. There is no well at least. Don't fill in what my experience is supposed to be because then that invalidates what I'm feeling. So if a, if a person feels like is is devastated because she can't even get to the step of even getting pregnant, that is a loss of something that she had hoped for and will not biologically experience. So even the the act of biologically experiencing pregnancy is taken away. It doesn't mean she cannot be a mother. It just means that she cannot, because for some women, it's all about carrying, like having that, that being growing inside of you. So she's not going to experience that. That's a loss of something that she idealized or will never experience. You know what I mean? If that is her particular um, circumstance. You know, so she may need to use a surrogate. She may need to use a gestational carrier. And those are all good alternatives. But she still gets to grieve what her what her idea of going to motherhood was going to look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so there's, you know, that space I want to talk about people who who didn't get, you know, who who haven't had loss from carrying a pregnancy, but still loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, those who have experienced loss um, during pregnancy. And so there's, uh, you know, there's some same thing. There's some people out there who will tell people, you know, like, oh, it was a chemical pregnancy. So that's a, it didn't really count or something like that. But there's still that hope and dream that you lose yeah. that you have when you get that positive pregnancy test. Yes. And so like. I think that they should also feel validated in their grief. And, you know, not that I need to give anyone permission, you know, like that's not my point. My point is that that all of this can be you can grieve all of this because it's a a loss of something. And no matter how big or small, it doesn't matter to me. Obviously, I'm not experiencing it, but it could be big to whoever is experiencing it. And if it's big, it's important to, I think talk about yes and so I totally agree because like you said as a matter of fact just leading up to the journey what because what happens is once you get that pregnancy test or maybe even before you start to envision what your life is going to be like with this new person you st- I mean you're sending them off whatever your dream is to college we're gonna do this the wedding day the grandkids and then that's ripped away from you. It doesn't matter at what stage, but that is ripped away from you. And now, you, so we're, we're just thinking that in the moment, oh, it was a chemical pregnancy. But no, there was this whole life that this person has envisioned with this, this other person that they were going to bring up and nurture in this world. And that was ripped away. And so that's what you're grieving. You're grieving your legacy, your future, you know, a bonding experience with another human being. And it's just not in like, oh, it's a chemical pregnancy. It Because that person, there's an immediate bond. Like once you know that there's a positive pregnancy test, there's an immediate bond like you experience inside of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in 2015, I had a miscarriage and I still and I don't know if this happens to you, but 
I still, to this day, it was 2015, so seven years ago to this day, I think about that pregnancy. I think about what could have been. I think about what could be right now. It's, you know, seven years later. You know, Mm -hmm. would I be taking this kid to school? And I also want to talk about that because I don't think, well, one, we don't talk about miscarriages, you know, at all. Mm. But we also don't talk about that whole, like, and I had I had my miscarriage. They dated it at seven weeks, but I found out at about 11 weeks. Yeah. Well, and so, and it's not like I was, you know, a late stage miscarriage or anything like that. It was earlier matter. on, right? Yeah. And so people just assume that I'm fine because it's, you, you know what I mean? Because they're like, oh, at yeah. least it was early, right? And I even said that to myself. I did not even process it because I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And... Like to this day, I catch myself, particularly to, like doing this podcast now. When we talk about these things, I'm like, yeah. oh, there are feelings. Like I, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. there are feelings coming up about this, and it's seven years later. And then that's when I started asking, is this normal? Do people do this? I don't know because we don't talk about it, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, I just want to put out there that I feel oh, these yeah. feelings seven years out, and I wonder, and I think, and then you know, especially when we hit these Mother's Day kind of things. Uh. <laughs> it's like, you know, because you're like, oh, my gosh. And it, there's so many people that have talked about, like, you know, just because I, I didn't get to hold my child doesn't mean that at one point in time I yeah. wasn't a mom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, oh, my God. So grief is not linear. You know, I always say this, like grief is not linear. And sometimes you're going fine. And then 10 years later, it hits you like that moment just hits you and you're like, well, that was so long ago. Why is it happening now? Because the loss never goes away. The the, the void is still there. <clears throat> we just start to manage it better. We can be a little removed from it because it's not like acute. It's not present, you know, but it never really, <clears throat> pardon me, it never really goes away. Um, so that's why if you think about it, you think about anniversaries and as humans we remember we remember dates we remember anniversary like oh seven years if you see a mom taking her kid to school who's like the approximate age you're gonna be like i wonder if what that would have been like for me so then you start to process what would remember again is the idea that you lost so you start to process what would that have been like for me and then you go down to all the different scenarios of what could have happened and then you feel that loss again it's like you relive it it may not be as severe as the first like when it initially happened but it hits you like you get to re-experience that loss again so that's what grief is it's not linear mm-hmm. yeah and so along this you know, journey. I mean, you've personally experienced this, so I, I know that you understand. And a lot of us go through this where there's a lot of disappointment. There's multiple events that bring on like, you know, a lot of sadness and a reminder of some of this stuff. At, at what point does this become trauma? And what exactly is trauma? Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> it becomes trauma when there's a, when we begin to when it impacts our lives where we're experiencing some sort of impairment in our day-to-day functioning. So now trauma is usually, um, we say post-traumatic stress disorder. It could be acute stress disorder, but that's usually associated with something like reliving the experience, like flashbacks. Um, Initially, it could be like hopelessness, feeling hopeless, feeling 
um, anxiety, feeling numbness. Like, remember you talk about like, I'm okay, da 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 da. So not really associating with the feeling, like distancing yourself from it because it's too much to handle. It could be irritability, it could be anger. But then um, when you notice maybe you're like a little more, you're irritable more often, you're aggressive, you're avoiding things, you're avoiding people, you're avoiding things, you're avoiding even thinking about the thing that happened. Um, Trauma shows up in different people in different ways. Like we have the, 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 the textbook version, which is like, you know, the nightmares, which a lot of people tend to have nightmares. Not everyone does, but also it can show up in, um, digestive issues. You know, it can show up in your body, digestive and also somatic, meaning like some people have like unexplained headaches, unexplained stomach ache, unexplained aches, like you're going to the doctor and you can't quite figure out what's going on. That could be your body manifesting trauma. So you look at how is it impairing my life? Am I isolating myself from others? Am I? So if you go now to maybe go back to try to get pregnant or or going through treatment are you hyper alert like are you on edge like am i gonna is it a current intrusive thoughts about losing the pregnancy like miscarriage you know pregnancy loss all of those things are trauma symptoms it was i think that was the second part to the question that i forgot no <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, no it, it just because uh, I, I was just wondering like at what point is it trauma? Because there's so much talk about trauma, I think, in the mental health space, period. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot more um, discussion about just life experiences that are traumatic mm-hmm. that maybe we previously didn't bring attention to. And then certainly right. in this fertility space, I think that trauma um, comes up. And so, you know, I think I just wanted to kind of get a better understanding of what exactly mm-hmm. was trauma. So I, I think okay. you covered. Yeah. Covered. Okay. And so I just want to clarify. So in the mental health space, we say um, um, trauma is, it could be acute. And so you don't diagnose someone with like PTSD until like four weeks after. But prior to that, you go like, it's an acute um, stress disorder, right? And then they're experiencing those symptoms. Now, if they persist past like a month, then you can say um, post-traumatic stress disorder. But trauma is like a um, experiencing or witnessing or hearing about something that you will, I would use the word consider devastating, or like a loss of some sort. So that's that's um, what is associated with trauma. Trauma brings up unpleasant feelings for you, you know, um, scary feelings. Like, And that's why we try to avoid things that bring those up for us. Yeah. And I am like, I, admittedly, I am like sometimes self-aware and sometimes incredibly not self-aware. But I, what I do know about myself is I am like Olympic level, like, at pushing down my feelings like I am like yes like nobody else can beat me in being able to stuff down my feelings and avoid all of it because I am just like nope I'm not dealing with it right now I'm not saying that's healthy I'm not telling anybody to do that (laughs) I'm just saying that that is my um, very bad coping mechanism for things that are too much for me is I just like stuff it down and um, it's probably not the best way to go but it's true it happens it does but then but it 
the funny thing is when we stuff it down, it comes out in a, in a different way. Like I always say, oh, so it manifests in a different way. Is it like, are you angry? Are you angry? Are you like curt with people? Are you, you know, are you always on edge? Like it's going to manifest in a different way, no matter how much you try to stuff it down. Because avoidance, when we avoid, it just increases what we're trying to avoid. So it doesn't go away. Um, and I do want to say um, infertility trauma it's like they rank it up there with like um, cancer, like finding out about, you know, going through cancer. That's how um, intense those feelings can be. That's how devastating they can be. So, you know, the fact that we don't talk about it, we forget that infertility is a medical condition. I'm not saying it's cancer. I don't want anybody comment for me, but you know what I mean? But it's the trauma associated with it, like from research that they've done, it's like it's just as um, if not equal to that of someone experiencing um, going through cancer. Yeah. Well, you're you're not saying that the experiences are equal. You're just saying right. how we emotionally are exactly. dealing with the experience is similar to those emotionally. Right. Physically, it's two completely different paths, two exactly. completely different experiences. So I don't I don't think that you're trying to say like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. you have to complain right. about or whatever. That's not yeah. that that wasn't the purpose of that statement. It, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I totally get it. Um, because your brain, your brain doesn't determine if it's a physical thing that you're going through or an emotional thing. It just knows that you're in a state of fight or flight. That's all it knows. And so that's why the traumatic experience, they equate. Yeah. Well, I think it's so hard, too. You bring up a really good point. It's so hard because we can't see it. Right. Like, if you break your arm, you're like, oh, that must be so hard. That must hurt. It's so hard to, I don't know, you know, carry your groceries or do your Mm -hmm. daily tasks because your arm is broken. And I can see that your arm is broken. But when it is this other struggle, right. No, you can't see it. You you yeah. can't like you can imagine what it feels like for someone's bone to be broken. Right. Because there's a lot of yeah. pain. There's loss of function. And you're like, OK, I could I could sympathize with that. But mm-hmm. not everyone has experienced no. loss or grief or anything like that exactly. or repetitive episodes of it. And there you go. And that's where we say complex traumas. Imagine a woman going through IUI, IUI, then IVF, IVF, IVF. That's now, she's falling into complex trauma because she's experienced, she's re-experiencing the loss. Every time there's a loss, she's re-experiencing it. Whether or not the pregnancy didn't, um, there was, it didn't take, whether she got pregnant, whatever it is, at whatever stage, she's constantly re-experiencing that. So imagine how on edge and hyper vigilant or hyper aroused she's going to be she's constantly on there so imagine like this person going through this and just trying to function and how we're supposed to function and interact with other people if you're constantly on edge and tense how do you function with others but nobody knows because who is she telling like oh nobody's walking around like oh i'm i'm having ivf like we don't walk around and do that because it's like oh i have to share that i i cannot physically do this you know and so there's no, we want to apologize for like not being able to do this, what is considered a basic human function and like, well, it's not. Yeah. yeah and I think so. Um, I think that's a really, really good point, because 
like let's say someone were to I don't know we'll use the broken arm thing again if they broke their arm <laughs> over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again mm-hmm. you're like oh my gosh that sucks so bad I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that you have to go through this that must be so horrible and it's because breaking your arm to some degree is like accepted right because you're like yeah. oh you can break your arm that sucks you you know you fell off a ladder or whatever oh you know that's terrible mm-hmm. make sure you don't have osteoporosis or something that might yeah. lead you to break your arm more often or something like that they're like oh that's so uh, they don't make excuses for it they don't ever do you know what I mean but mm-hmm. when it's fertility and it's because uh-huh. everything's happening inside every you can't yeah. see the scars you can't see well sometimes you could see the scars you know you and, can yeah yes sometimes you can see them but it, it because it's not as widely accepted and it's not widely talked about um we and i don't want to say that we bear the burden of dealing with this in silence but we kind of do we not do. intentionally but it, it's because it's something that we don't talk about because it's not something that we openly discuss so you just right. you're having this this kind of broken arm thing inside internally and the emotions that come with that frustration all internally you don't have exactly but let's think about it also though like how many times do people i don't know if they mean it like the at least or but you know when they use these statements that i don't know if they're supposed to be comforting but they're really not but they they also lend lend to blaming like how many times do people say well you know if you hadn't Well, if you had just done, you know, and you fill in the blank, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be blamed for something that is not your fault, but people are not. And I use the word ignorance because if you don't know, if you're not educated about it, then there is an ignorance about it. So people are not aware and they make these statements, not realizing how hurtful they are to the person that you're saying it to, because it's like, unknowingly you're blaming somebody for something that is out of their control you don't blame someone for having um for getting the flu you know what i mean you don't so it's like but we were quick to say well if you hadn't done this i remember somebody told me she said and she and i know this is someone who loves me like dearly and i call her and we talk about like personal things and she was like well you just weren't ready you're not ready to be a mom and i was like huh? mm. i what do I do with that information? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, and then we always, we don't always have a comeback. When someone says something, it hits you so hard. You don't usually have a comeback. So you kind of just kind of like cower in yourself and just, you know, go, because if you tell someone, they're going to try to make it okay. Like, oh, it's okay. They didn't mean, and you're like, I don't want to hear what they meant right now. I, that was hurtful. But I don't even know how to express like that was hurtful what they said to me, you know. Yeah, so. and I, I, so I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I think yeah. part of it is because we don't talk about it. So if we don't talk about, it, they don't know what to say. And I think you're totally right. Like we're so uncomfortable in other people's discomfort. Like we really are, and we just want to yeah. try and make it better, right? Yeah. And so you're like, well, and so we come up with things to say, right? But yeah, they don't know that it's not helpful. No. But sometimes, sometimes I get frustrated that I'm like, well, why do I have to be the one to teach you? You know, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't want that responsibility. But at the same point in time, how else will they know? Yeah. So I try to, in a very nice way, because someone once told me, like, well, you just have to be positive. 
And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I am beyond positive at this point. Like we are like, I'm four cycles in <laughs> like positivity is not going to help me here. <laughs> like I'm just, yeah. and so, you know, I had this conversation with her um, a little while ago and cause she kind of brought up something else about fertility. And, and so I said to her, I'm like, you know, this is like really hard. And mm-hmm. like, although I know you mean well and you care and you're trying to help me feel better, the, the being positive thing is not helpful. Like, it's just like, and she, we keep it pretty real. So I can say things yeah. like that. And she knows it's, I'm not trying to be a jerk, you know, but I told her, I'm like, you know, it's not helpful, but what is helpful is just kind of being there and listening. Exactly. Um, and I'm like, that helps me a lot. And I don't necessarily yeah. need any advice, but if you have some, like, you know, you can ask me whether or not you can give it to me because, you know, right. I may be in a space where I'm open to hearing it. And, you know, so I tried to have that conversation with her because um, she was like, it, it was like cycle three or something, or I think it was three and four. Oh. She's like, no, because I was just, you know, you go through this mode and we'll talk about like triggers and stuff in just a second. Yeah. But I feel <laughs> like I just wanted to protect my heart. You know, if this yeah. thing were to not work out and if I had, you know, another failed IVF cycle, I just want to prepare my brain so I wouldn't. Like I, I call it like falling off the cliff, you know, it's like you, you, you like get your hopes up, you get your hopes up, you get your yes. hopes up and then it doesn't work out. And then you just feel like you take this dive off a cliff into this pit yeah. of like terrible, like sad feelings. And then yeah. I just was trying to be like, look, I'm not going to climb that high up the cliff. I'm just going to like exactly. walk a few steps up and then just be like, OK, I'm going to hang right here until yeah. we figure out what's going on. And if it's you know not great, then at least I'm here and I'm not like way up here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You give and, yourself a cushion, like yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna cushion it because you can't fully be really. It, it, once you've had like a couple of cycles, I don't know anyone who can be 100 percent like I'm just on cloud nine. I'm, even that pregnancy test is like anxiety provoking because you know at any moment things can change. So you're always in that fight or flight. Like I have to be careful. I should be happy, and then it's like I should be happy, but I'm scared and. All those emotions are okay. And, you know, I have this thing, like, I remember sending my family, like, these are things you cannot say to me right now. Like, I sent them a list of things, like, I know this is supposed to be helpful, but these things, they're not okay. And my mom was like, got it, good, don't. And so I've given that to clients, too, like, give them the list, like, don't. You know what I mean? Don't come with, well, at least you can get pregnant. Don't mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think that's so smart. And I, I think it's so great to have something like that where you can maybe, you know, if you're uncomfortable having that conversation with someone, you can just say, yeah. hey, I'm going through this right now. I'm starting IUIs or I'm starting fertility treatment. These are a list of things that yeah. are not helpful for me. And then, so the other thing I want to talk about is triggers you know that trigger me in some way or whatever so what exactly is a trigger and at what point is it i i guess it, will these triggers ever go away okay so a trigger is a, a stimulus something that creates for, for for our purposes an unpleasant feeling it reminds us of something that was traumatic that you had to respond to that's a trigger and you know when you're triggered like it's almost like your feelers go up. Like you, you, you go into this, I need to protect myself mode 
or I need to run away. So something's happening, but you're on high alert, like something is awry, right? That is a trigger. So it could be a smell. It could be hearing a sound. It could be seeing something. Any of those things could be triggered. It could be hearing a phrase. And because it's a reminder and it can bring about like overwhelming sadness. It can make you feel anxious. It can make you go into a panic state. So that is what I consider a trigger. Um, and then you have to, do they go away? Well, first of all, you have to understand, get to the bottom of what is it that is triggering me? Because sometimes you may just have the feeling, you may just experience this feeling. And then you have to go like, wait, I was fine a second ago. What just happened that now I'm feeling all these, this unpleasantry or I'm feeling anxious. And then you try to go back and do a process of elimination. I always say to clients like, when you hit the thing that is triggering you, you will know because your body will physically respond to it. When you like mentally be like, oh, it was this. Or maybe I just saw that I'm in, I'm in the mall and I'm looking for a top and then I just saw this pregnant girl go by. Not really paying it, you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, that's a trigger for you. So you have to understand what are the things that trigger me and start to keep tabs. If you're like, oh, I just saw that girl. I'm feeling a little... I'm a, I, I don't feel good anymore, like emotionally. Or maybe I just heard a song on the radio that I heard the song right before I got the call from the doctor, like, you're going to lose the, you know, going back and really identifying what those things are help. Because what it does is then you're able to say, when you see those things happening, you can tell yourself like, I know this is a hard thing for me to deal with, but right now in this space, right here. I'm okay. Or you can say, this is what I'm experiencing. Like talking to yourself, like this is what this is making me experience. This is what I'm feeling right now. You have to embrace those feelings in order for the triggers to start to not have total control over you. You have to start to embrace them. You have to allow yourself to experience because what happens when you avoid that feeling increases, right? Like you just said, I can pack my feelings down, but it doesn't go away. So I'll say this for instance, like Mother's Day, for instance, was a huge trigger. I shouldn't say was, is a huge trigger for me. But then last year I started saying, like, well, why is it a trigger for me? Because it was still a shame that I carry with like infertility. There's still a shame surrounding it. And so, but there's a feeling of feeling invisible. Like the whole week leading up to Mother's Day, I'm like, oh, feel myself shutting down, feel myself getting on edge. Like my significant other's talking to me, I'm ready to bite his head off because I just am ready to buy for no reason, but he's getting on my nerves. And I, I was like, I have to start. I remember the first time I, someone was saying, oh, you know, you should go have a baby. Are you pregnant? And I said, I struggle with infertility. And she was like, oh, no, but I said, no, there's, there's no buts. That's my reality. All this other stuff, that is my reality. And it was at first saying that, that made it, a little more palatable for me. But then Mother's Day, I was like, I dread it so much. How can I not have it? So it just takes over my entire week. And I was like, let me do something that I love to do on Mother's Day. So last year, I planned a trip to Carmel. I went, I loved the beach. And I did that. And it's not that I still didn't experience some of those feelings, but it just didn't make me feel like so invisible and worthless because I was doing something that I enjoyed that it, I was whole in what I was doing. So when we're dealing with triggers, we have to acknowledge it, experience it, and then we start to have new activities like 
what can counter that? I know the feeling is still there, but I can counter it so it doesn't just consume me, you know? And so does it go away? Remember how I said grief is linear? We can, I'll call I'll say a relapse for lack of a better word. You can relapse, like the trigger can go up again. But if you know, if you have the right tools in place, like the right things, you can acknowledge it and it doesn't consume you. Or sometimes it can totally go away, you know? But remember, it's linear. I mean, it's not linear, so it can always resurface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think Mother's Day is such a hard one for a lot of us who deal with fertility. And um, particularly for those of us who, you know, have had miscarriages and stuff like that, because, you know, the, they celebrate, the idea is to celebrate mothers who have children that you children. can see, Right? Yeah. yeah. And um, sometimes all the ads and everything, because, mm. you know, where we live in the U.S., it's marketing yeah. all day, every day. <laughs> like, so. How can we make consumer? Yes. Yeah. So, like, you know, you have, for, you know, two, three weeks sometimes leading up oh, to Mother's God. Day, it's like all you see are these ads and these commercials and things yeah. like that on TV or whatever you're doing. And it's just is sometimes so overwhelming. And it does. It makes you want to avoid all of it, but, <laughs> right. But, you know, from what you're saying, it's, that's not the best solution for that. Cause mother's day is not going away. Mother's it's day not. will come it's every year. Day. Yes. Every year yeah. it will come in May. And so the, the best way to kind of deal with it sounds like to do some work around that experience yeah. and what you feel and how you feel. And exactly. And I mean, like for instance, those who are those who are blessed to have their mothers in their lives, you know, their mother's still here on this side of, on, on this side. Um, like if, if Mother's Day is something that is really triggering for you, you can celebrate, if you want to celebrate with her, you can celebrate like the day before or the Friday before. You can do, you know, and let her know, Mom, this is a really triggering day for me. Some people might just want to be like, I just want to be home and watch Hallmark movies or whatever, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel like that escape. Like, what is your escape? Do that thing and don't apologize. If people invite you to something, it's okay to say, you know, I'm not able to make it right now. And for those who you want to share why, you can share why as much as you want to share. And for those who don't, you don't owe owe anybody any explanation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think you bring up a really good point to the because the idea of being because you know there's mother's day gatherings there's you know people have their kids there people bring i mean it's the same kind of thing as as like a baby shower i think you know exactly where you know people invite you to this baby shower and sometimes for family you know it's like oh yeah well it's i don't know your sister's baby shower or your cousin's baby shower or whoever you know someone in your family it's like you really need to go because you really need to support them and Sometimes that is a really hard conversation for people to have with their families to say, you know what, this is too much for me right now. I can't do it. I respectfully decline or whatever, you know, is a good way to say kind of like you said, you know, I I love and support this person. But for me, emotionally, Mm -hmm. I, I can't. Right. I can't do this or, you know. And you can even, t- if you're close to that person, you can say, you know, I can't come right now. Maybe you and I can do something separately. If you do want to see them pregnant, if you're able to do that, just the two of you, maybe you two can do something separate, you know, or you can send them a nice basket. 
Um, but the problem, the, 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 the challenge comes when we, when we, because we've been told like, you know, we have to conform to the norm and the norm is to accept the invitation to the baby shower and go. When we feel that urge, like we have to go. But when you do that, what Brene Brown says, you're, you're betraying yourself. That's her phrase that I love to use. You're betraying yourself because you know, deep down inside, this is, this is going to be hard for you. Now you're going to have to, you're going to deal with your triggers, but you can't in that moment because you have to have this really nice face on. Like I have to be happy, but guess what? You can be happy and upset about what you're experiencing in that moment. Those two feelings can exist, but I am like, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I flew home to my family and they were like, Oh, we're going to a baby shower. I said, yeah, I'm not going. Like, I remember my sister said, oh, and I was like, I'm not going unless it's somebody who I'm just, there's some people who I will go to the baby shower, but I just don't up and go to everybody's baby shower. To me, that's, that's triggering. That's too much, you know? And I'm, I've become really good at saying no, like tomorrow, my mom is like, she said to me, she goes, I'm bringing the word at church tomorrow. Would you, will you sing for me? And I said, no. I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to church tomorrow. It's Mother's Day. She said, so I, said, I hate Mother's Day. <laughs> and then she looked at me and said, well, I mean, I, mom, I don't like Mother's Day. And she goes, why? I said, I, I just don't. I, I just don't. And that's, then I was like, because I feel invisible. Like nobody acknowledges those women who doesn't have the baby to show. And I don't like that feeling. It feels really like I'm not seen. And she was like, okay, I, I understand that, you know? And so for me, I had to do as much as I would love to go and be there for her. But I'm like, no, I'm not going. Because when they do the flower ceremony, I'm going to feel like they're just going to pass over me. And I'm just sitting there looking at everybody else. And I don't like that feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's so hard. Uh, um, not that it's easier for you, but I, I feel like, because, you know, as a trained professional. <laughs> I think you tap into feelings a lot easier than some of us, yeah. although it may not be true. I mean, you know, because it's you, you Good. might still struggle, but, but for me, like that's such a hard thing for me to get out of my mouth sometimes to people. You know what I mean? Like if they're like, you're invited. Cause I feel this intense guilt. I'm a people pleaser. Yeah. So like not to turn this into like therapy, but I'm a people yeah, pleaser. And I, I, have a really hard time telling people no, regardless mm-hmm. of how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know that other people feel that way or they have parents who guilt them or yeah. other family members who guilt them into it. Like, you know, so I I think that hopefully if they understood or knew why this was so difficult for someone, that they could hopefully respect that so that yeah. so that they don't you know, they don't push you harder than, you know, you are prepared to be pushed to go to an event or whatever. You know, I think mine came with like, okay, so first of all, I used to be, I was an, I was an actress for years. I think I can tap into those feelings really quickly, but, um, I do struggle with saying no, but I think I've gotten better at it because I go, this is my process. I'm like, okay, if somebody's asking me something, there's three responses they should expect. If you're asking, that means I have one of three choices. It's either yes, no, or maybe. Like, And maybe is it could go either way. I will get back to you. And so if I can't just straight up say no, I can say, listen, um, let me get back to you on that. Because then it's kind of like a safe 
kind of place. It's like, let me get back to you if the, you know, and then I need to go and formulate. Okay. So how do I now tell this person that I love that I can't go and support them in this moment and I have to come up with something that makes, that is okay for me and okay for them. And the people, and the way I see it is, yes, somebody may be hurt, but for those who care about me and the, the struggle that I have with it, they will eventually come around and understand, you know? And it's just a hard place to be, but we're so good at taking care of everybody else that it's easy to not take care of yourself. And I mean, there are instances where things are like, you have to drop everything, but in a case like this, I would say you really gotta just put yourself first no matter how hard it is. And it's easy, it's so much easier said than done. It's way easier said than done, you know? And I, I think the thing too to say is when you first start making these changes where you put yourself first and put your feelings first, it will feel uncomfortable and it Very. will feel like it's not right. But that's yeah. because it's not what you're used to. You're used to exactly. putting other people first. You're used yeah. to like putting other people's feelings first. And so when you flip the switch, it can feel selfish. Yeah. It can feel like. Very. Yeah. And because, go ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I also tell clients to like write a like write your exit plan. Like say you decide, okay, I really can't tell this person no. I'm gonna go to this event. Write up. Come up with an exit plan. You know what I mean? And have it in your head. Like this is what I'm gonna do. Da da da. And stick to your exit plan. Now, if you and your partner going, have that thing where you know, like, okay, at so and so time when I throw you the signal we're out, you know, so come up with an, or even come up with like script. Like when people say something to you, write like your little script. So you have a comeback that is, that is nurturing to you, but it sets a clear boundary with the other person. It doesn't have to be rude, but it establishes a clear boundary. So if it means you have to sit down and write, okay, these are the things I'm going to say if somebody say, well, at least you write it down, you know, and rehearse it. So you, so you're, because you're usually caught off guard when someone makes a statement like that. So you want to kind, you can, you want to be as prepared as you can, as you, you know, as, as you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, cause this could, like, we, we could go on for hours about this, you know, like, you know, when you have like mothers-in-law who, you know, are, yeah. who give you a hard time and you're like, how do I be? Cause you know, you want to be. Uh, respectful and yes. you know you want to acknowledge that they have these feelings but at the same point in time they don't understand what it's like to be no. going through some of this and why you can't go to this thing or that thing or if it's Mother's Day it's like you know you can be respectful and maybe you know show up to their gathering but then like you mm-hmm. said maybe have an exit plan you're like I, I did my part I showed up mm-hmm. but this is about all I can take and I need to get out yeah. you know yeah and sometimes a little, what to say, a little white lie, like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> if you just happen to wake up on that day, with like, oh, my head, I just have this headache. It's not yeah. going away. Who can say you don't have a headache? <laughs> Nobody. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, well, oh, honey, I got a headache today. I'm staying home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so crazy that we have to come up with all these things to feel safe, to feel emotionally safe, safe. you know? Yeah. It's like... Yeah. It's so, um, it's it's just so crazy because, yeah, I feel I feel like that's why I want to talk about these things more so that maybe over time we don't have to do these yeah. things. We just say, you know what, I'm going through fertility treatment. I just can't 
I just can't handle this right now. It's too much. And then people can go say, oh, okay. Yes. But, you know, I'm glad there's more awareness, right? There's what well, I'm hoping there's like someone like you doing like this podcast, which is a great platform to bring awareness. So thank you, Miss oh, Victoria. Thank you. Thank it's you. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it, like just talking about you bring up a good point. You talk about like mother-in-laws and stuff. Like, What if it's someone like culturally speaking where respect is huge. Like you think about people from like the African culture or like Asian or Latin American, like where that respect is huge. Like how do you navigate that? You know? And I think that's when that little headache might come into play because are you going to tell her no? Cause you about to wreak havoc if you tell your mother-in-law in some cultures. So you have to have something that you can be safe and get away with and not be like ostracized from the family. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true where sometimes, you know, like it is so important and it's considered a sign of disrespect if you don't do this or that or whatever. And it's also hard sometimes in those spaces to explain fertility, infertility, because in large part, like while we're talking about that, it's probably not even discussed like culture i know as like an asian person i never heard about infertility growing up i never heard about infertility from any of my like family friends or anything like that none of that was ever discussed whether or not anyone was struggling nobody ever knew about everything was perfect all the time always exactly and that's the problem because it's funny because then when you start to go through it and and you just say you know i struggle then people start coming out the woodworks you're like wait there are other people who deal with this other than me. So you're right. I remember growing up as my grandmother was like, she would like pray with people. And I remember now I remember specifically this two women coming to her to pray with them because, well, I didn't know they were going through infertility at the time. Now, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, they were struggling with infertility. But she would pray with these women because they were having problems having children. And I'm like, oh, my God, nobody like talked about this stuff ever, ever. I don't even remember the first time I heard about people struggling with it, like somebody saying it. I was way into my adulthood. You know, that was not even your, I mean, how many doctors talk to you about like infertility? You know, I remember, I I always say to people, I wish my doctor had said to me, you know, you can save your eggs. (laughs) You can freeze your eggs. Yes. Even having that option, you know, so. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I think part of it is because um, like when we were younger, it wasn't as widely um, approved, I guess, because there was a period of time where freezing eggs wasn't considered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think I think now it's it is. And so I think now there's more conversation. Um, And so we're having community. It depends on the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the black or the African American community mm-hmm. is still not widely yes received. Yes, well, and I think part of that too. I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but I think part of that too is access to care. Um, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that access to care involves talking about some of these things. So I think that's that's so true in mm-hmm. a, lo- a lot of different communities who don't have good mm-hmm. access to care. Is that that's like. Not that that's the last thing on their mind, but, you know, just trying to control diabetes, high blood pressure, things like that is like, you know, priority, I guess. You know what I mean? But having the conversation around fertility is like bottom of the list for that because it's not like 
You know, it, it's not like, you know, because if your blood pressure gets too high, you can have a stroke. Or mm-hmm. if your diabetes is too bad, um, you can, you know, end up having kidney failure or lose a limb yeah. or lose your eyesight or whatever. So that like takes priority over all this stuff. And not to mention the high cost of fertility treatment. And in certain communities, certainly without access to care, there's no way that they're going to be able to get access to fertility care because it's so expensive. It is so expensive. And not everybody can, like, have the option, like you said, of getting on a plane and going somewhere else because the timing, you're dealing all with timing. Everything is time-based. It's so time-sensitive in that world. So you're right. Access to care, but also spiritual beliefs play a part in that, too. You know, like, when do you, do you pray about it? Um, You know what I mean? Like, spiritual beliefs also play a a whole role. And I was at a conference last week, and some of that's like a fertility conference last week, and that came up. There was this young lady who did this whole thing. She was from China, who did this whole thing on infertility in that culture. You know what I mean? How people come over here, but they can't really go back home and say they have, like, infertility treatments. I was like, wow. So it was eye-opening. So just looking at it from different cultural perspectives like you know it's it's really interesting so at what point do we need to reach out for help at what point do we kind of say you know what i'm not managing this on my own very well or Mm -hmm. do we even need to get that far before we start reaching out for help when should we start looking for help I always, not because I'm a, a therapist, but I always say that the sooner the better, because what can happen is it, it, the longer it's like anything, the longer it stays unresolved or untreated, it increases. So if you start to, to reach out for help earlier and you and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say you don't even have to. I mean, go to a therapist, but you can find a support group, um, because what happens is you start to deal with what those what you're experiencing so the sooner the better you start to deal with what you're experiencing you can, you can normalize those feelings you can realize like oh i'm not the only one experiencing this other people feel the same way so it i'm not i'm going to put these in quotation marks i'm not crazy you know what i mean in quotation marks and it makes you know that there's other people dealing with it and then you can learn but how do they cope with it what are what are they putting in place to cope with these feelings that they're dealing with so the sooner the better because you don't want to go into like isolating and increase depression or anxiety which is normally what would happen by not dealing with um what's happening in your life now um when you work with clients do you work with clients um like as a couple if they're partnered because there are some things that come up um as a couple if you're going through this as a couple so do you when you see clients do you work with them together and separate or just together or what's your approach it depends on how they come to me if it's just one person then i'll just deal with that one person but if they come as a couple then i work with them as a couple it's interesting working with couples because then you deal with a lot of um, what are their what are their beliefs about you know infertility? What is what are their beliefs or what are their expectations? And in, in as far as treatment, um, what are some emotions that are coming up for both for both parties? How are they handling the other person's emotions? How are they dealing with their triggers? You know, so you you kind of deal with it on a how it it shows up in their relationship. Um, that's how I deal mostly with couples and just helping them give grace to the other person. A lot of times I will find that the male partner suppresses his emotions because the female partner is going through 
the physical or the physical treatments. And so everything is about her and he doesn't get to express what he's feeling. But what about resentment? Because resentment can come up from both parties. And what does that look like? You know, because she may be feeling like you're not really doing anything. I'm doing all the work. And he may be having thoughts like, well, maybe if we had started at this time, then, you know, so we just look at all the different or they're having these silly arguments when really, you know, the argument is about did she get a her period um, after she, the two week wait? Did, did, her, did she start her period? You know, or are they is he feeling like, well, sex is now a chore because we only do it around the time of ovulation. So we deal with all of those when it's a partner setting and the um, individual, we get to go more into like identity. Like what is your, how do you, how does, has this impacted your identity? Who are you? What, um, as a couple, like what, how far are you willing to go before you look at alternatives? But that comes later because it could be really um, triggering for people. But after a certain mark, we're like, so how many more treatments do you think you would want to have before you start to look at other alternatives? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. Do, what do you think has been in the, with the clients that you've worked with the biggest struggle? Like when you work with them, what do they come to you with like that you mm-hmm. find is a common theme (laughs) anxiety the anxiety because a lot of people like i'm so used to being in control like because you can't control the outcome of this because normally in our lives it's like okay if i eat let's just take losing weight if i eat right and i work out and i get enough rest i'm gonna see the results i'll start to lose weight right with fertility you can do everything that is supposed to be right and you still don't have the end result that you expect. So it's that loss of control, which is very anxiety provoking for a lot of people, like not having control over what the final outcome is going to be. And so how do I let go of this thing that I feel like I need to control so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the most helpful tip that you seem to give every client that you see? I always like to go back with who were you before you found out you were struggling with infertility? What were the things that you enjoyed doing? Are you still doing some of those things? How are you implementing those things in your life? Do you have a supportive network? If Identify those people. Identify your supportive network and let them know what it is that you need. You know, And if it's someone who has struggled with loss, um, acknowledge that loss. Is it is it could be something as simple as writing, like journaling. It could be something like one thing that a lot of clients like, and I had a client do it last year. Was like plant plant something in their honor, so you can see the anniversary as it grows. You know, um, you can always have that presence, that presence with you on like a spiritual kind of level, and they really love that. Um, but definitely doing things that they enjoy. Um, is is something that's really big because what happens is you become so consumed it only becomes about the injections and the treatment and the eating right and the ovulation and you get caught up in that and then everything else goes away but when's the last time you took a walk you know the other thing I say if it's couples I always say find pick a time how many times a week you decide that you're going to talk about this experience this infertility experience talk about it during that time and then 
try to find other things that you enjoy in other times. Like you designate, is it going to be twice a week? Is it going to be every day for like 30 minutes? And then you let it go until the next time, you know, unless it's so emergency, like I have to bring about it, but you want to kind of keep it in a structure. So it's not so consuming because infertility treatments are so consuming. And I think people really tend to Um, like that and also identifying again going back to identifying what your triggers are so you already know like oh I just saw this I know I'm responding to you this way because of what I just experienced what I just saw so just those basic things Mm -hmm. and how often are you normally seeing your clients for my fertility clients I tend to see some of them I see them either weekly or bi-weekly so it depends on the individual either weekly or bi-weekly when they're about to go into into like their cycle the, their next um, cycle of treatment it tends to be weekly once in a while I may have somebody be like oh my god can you see me for an emergency session so then you know but that's not often but yeah weekly definitely when they're going into like um, retrieval or um, um, transfer transfer mm-hmm. and all of that yeah mm-hmm. okay no that's great um i we have some submitted questions so let's do a few of those really quick um okay um this one looks like looking for advice i had four losses in the last four years recently had had miscarriage number five i feel so empty and sad what do you recommend i do Hmm. Okay, so yeah, I would say acknowledge each of those losses. What did they mean? What was your idea of who, of what those losses represent for you? Remember how I said, like, once you find out you're pregnant, you start to idealize this life. I talk about that. And I know it sounds like fantasy, but write down, just journaling is so important. Like write down what you envision, what your life was going to be like, because that helps you to put it down on paper. You can grieve that loss. You can acknowledge those losses and then think about, okay, now what is my next step? What does this look like for me? What am I going to do? What is my future looking like? You know, how do I envision this new reality that I'm struggling with? And also, is, if this is someone in treatment, like, what is my next step for treatment? What am I willing to do? Am I ready to do, like, alternatives? And You know, be realistic about it. Like, how much more can you, are you willing to take, can, and physically, how much more can your body take? You know, because that also plays a big part. But really acknowledging journaling and talking to others. I always say get a support group because, again, it brings you a community of people who can say, this is what I did. I when I experienced it. This is what and you take you take what you want from that and you leave the other whatever doesn't work for you. Leave it on the table. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. Um, let's see this next one, mom of one second in secondary infertility and feel guilt because I do have a child, but sad because I want one more emotions, opposite emotions can exist simultaneously. So it's okay. You're happy. You love your child, but you, again, you have this dream of being a mother of two that loss that hasn't come to fruition so there's a loss there there's a longing that there's a void that hasn't been filled so it's okay to experience those feelings while you still love and are grateful for what you have but you also long for something that you don't have and it's okay to feel that way so when the guilt comes acknowledge 
yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I do experience both these things and it's okay to experience them in this moment. Neither feeling is wrong or right, but their feelings and they're coming up for me and I have to experience them. And then, you know, you can move on with what your next step is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel the skill and maybe it's because people will say to you, oh, at least you have one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where they say, oh, like, at least you have one. But you're so right when in your mind you had dreamed of being a mother or two. It's still yeah. a loss. It's still it's a loss. Mm-hmm. What you I thought you. hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say what you thought, you know, would be your life is yeah, potentially could be changed. I'm not saying it won't exactly. be successful, but we potentially, yeah. Yeah, and it could look different. It could look like come through adoption. It could come through surrogate. It could come through just, you know, but um, I always say to clients when they're like, well, I shouldn't feel this way. No, no, you, you, nobody tells you how you're supposed to feel, you know? And also when people say, well, at least I'm like, we all have our own cross to bear, you know, like this is what you've been given. This is your thing that you've been given. It's not less or more than anyone else's. It's yours, you know, and it falls on, you determine where, where it falls on the scale for you. And then we work towards that. So it's balanced. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this next one is how do you remain positive when people have opinions and don't know what you're going through? I know. Remember, <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one because sometimes you may have to keep people at bay, keep certain people at a minimum, like minimal interaction or just really say, you know, your opinions, I love you, your opinions, but your opinions are hurtful. And they really hurt me. And I and I always like to say, you know, it may not be your intention, but your intention, even though it's not intentional, I am is causing me a lot of pain. And I really don't if if, if you cannot respect and understand where I am coming from or what I'm feeling, then I would really like you not to address it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I can even say, let's just let's just have this topic be off limits because it's hurtful to me. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, or they can do your list, right? Send the list oh, of can do the what list. things. Yeah, things not to say. <laughs> Don't say this. <laughs> yes, this yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I think that's so smart to have like a, a no-no list. Like mm-hmm. these are the things you cannot say to me. <laughs> right, and some people might want to do okay, and then if they want to be whatever disrespectful, then you know, okay, this isn't someone that I can really um, in this moment and time mm-hmm. in my life. Like I have to keep you at bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this one says, my church gives out flowers to mothers on Mother's Day. You were talking about mm-hmm. that. I'm dreading it. Any advice for enduring it? So there's a couple of things. One of them is maybe, well, now with the church being virtual, you can do virtual. And at that time in the ceremony, maybe like let the screen go dark until mm-hmm. after. If you're, or you, you could do a private, if Mother's Day is, you have to celebrate, you could do a private ceremony with yourself. Or if you know it's coming up in the service, because usually there's a program, you mm-hmm. can excuse yourself, leave the sanctuary, maybe go out to the bathroom or go outside mm-hmm. to your car. And mm-hmm. when that part of the service is over, you can come back in because mm-hmm. then you wouldn't have had to experience the whole giving of mm-hmm. the flower. You'll come back and people will have their flowers on, but mm-hmm. you would have missed that, you know, as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I would say. 
Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and then this one, this next one is actually a comment. No question. Just thank you for addressing the topic. <laughs> so thank you for being on here to talk about it. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. It's awesome. Yeah. So um, how do people connect with you if they have more questions or they want to work with you? How do they connect with you? Okay. So I'm licensed in the state of California right now. So all my clients are will have to be physically in California. Mm-hmm. I am. You can find me on Instagram at... Mm-hmm. Fertility Counseling Now. Mm-hmm. It's all one word, Fertility Counseling Now. Or you can go to my website, fertilitycounselingnow.com. Um, yeah, so Instagram or, or my website, you can, you know, send me questions or whatever. I won't do therapy with you if you're out of yes. state. And I definitely don't do therapy on Instagram. But Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an ideal space to do therapy in. <laughs> Let's do therapy on it. It's like, oh, God, no. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah. No, that's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being here today. I'm this so grateful. Awesome. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. And hopefully you'll come back again in the future. We could talk more about all the different yeah. things, emotions that come up during this process. Because exactly. um, the other thing I'm on this like crusade to like get people to see therapy as something that isn't taboo that isn't right. something that should be shameful or anything exactly. like that because I think yeah. I mean I really think that everyone needs a therapist you know just someone you I can agree. confide in and someone that you know is a safe space to be in obviously it's hard to find the right match sometimes yeah. just like anything else you want to find the right mm-hmm. match but if you find someone that is supportive, that's non-judgmental, that yes. makes you feel safe to be in, then I think it can be a really good relationship. Exactly. I always tell my clients, remember, we're here for you. This isn't the space where I, as a therapist, should be dumping. I'm here mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. I am your person for the mm-hmm. hour that you have me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Also with fertility, I think it's also good to have a lot of people say, and no disrespect to anyone, but mm-hmm. I'm like, if someone says no disrespect, they're about to disrespect. <laughs> <me>. <laughs> but on that note, no disrespect to anyone. Yeah. But a lot of people, as you, you know, you and I discuss, like a lot of people, are like I do fertility, like as a therapist, and then you start talking to them about. Um, some of the medical part of fertility and they have no idea. I think it's, it's always great for a client to not have to continue. To, mm-hmm. The therapist is not going to know everything because yeah. there's new stuff coming out every day. Yeah, yeah. But to at least have like a good grasp of some mm-hmm. of what people go through in, in treatment. And so it's mm-hmm. really when you go to talk to someone, I say find someone who has like uh, who's done some training in the fertility space when you go to have, you know, because yeah, you're dealing with grief and loss and any therapist, any generalist can deal with that. But how is it significant or relevant to infertility? Cause not mm-hmm. everyone understands that world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for having such an important conversation today. I'm so grateful for your time and hopefully we'll be able to chat again soon. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes, and I hope to see you back again soon.